That is the work of Jesus in our lives, helping outsiders feel like insiders. It's what we are here to talk about today. But I want to start by letting you know, Corey Gregory and I took a trip this past week. We were across the pond over in London for a few days. We got to check out a church called Holy Trinity Brompton. It's an awesome name for a church and a program called Alpha that they started over 40 years ago in their church and had just an inspirational time of learning from their leaders and hearing what they're doing as a church and and seeing them run Alpha, just sort of looking under the hood of this innovative church that's reaching hundreds and thousands of people for Jesus in one of the most secular cities in our world, in London. And uh, I, I got to tell you, I was so impressed. I never imagined that I would find a group of British Anglicans who were charismatic. <laughs> and I thought, if British Anglicans can be charismatic, there might be hope for Presbyterians in Edina. But it was amazing, and, and, and I also have to tell you, we had other business while we were there as well. We found ourselves at Buckingham Palace. If, if you're following the news, the Queen called a family summit last week to address Megxit. <laughs> Prince Harry, who married an American actress, and they've decided they don't want to do their royal duties anymore. And so it's been a big hubbub in the nation. And, and they had to have a family summit to deal with this crisis. And they brought in two Americans to help mediate. <laughs> Let me be fully transparent. Corey and I had nothing to do with those conversations. I just want to, want to say that. I know, you, I know you thought we did. I know you thought they brought us in. Uh, but this story actually is incredibly relevant to our text in Ephesians, asking the question, how do outsiders become part of the family? How do people from different traditions and different countries and even different ethnicities make a new life together? As we've seen on a national scale, it can be a little messy. So let me give you a little context as you take your journal Bibles and turn to Ephesians chapter 2. If you haven't been here yet with us in the month of January and you would like a journal Bible, just raise your hand and the ushers will bring you one. They'll get their attention and they'll drop one off. So raise your hand if you need one. The ushers will come and drop one off. We're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, but as Jesus' church spread throughout the world, as it grew and expanded into other cities like Ephesus, where the letter we're reading today was named after, as it spread into the known world, you had people from different ethnicities and different backgrounds and different religious traditions coming together, and they had to wrestle with what does it look like to live together as one church under Jesus? And this is easier said than done. Many of you can think about examples from your own lives, from your schools, from your workplaces, from your neighborhoods, where bringing people together with different backgrounds and different traditions has not always gone smoothly. And this can happen in our churches as well. Martin Luther King Jr. said that a Sunday at 11 a.m. is the most segregated hour of the week in America. 
Church, that should leave us feeling dissatisfied because we believe that what Jesus has done in our lives should matter and that the church should not look like the rest of the world, but that Jesus makes a difference. Last week, Pastor Melissa preached on how the faith of Je- the faith we have in Jesus should transform our actions, should transform our lives. And the questions, the question we have to wrestle with today is how do people who are different from each other find alignment in Christ? This was a crucial question for the early church because how God wants to use his people is to show the world what he has done through uniting people with differences that they learn to set aside their differences and live together in Christ. And we're going to see that in Ephesians 2. So let's pick it up in verse 11. I'm going to ask you to circle things and underline things and write things, so just be ready. Verse 11. Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by human hands. Pause there. It's a weird way to start a text. I'm just going to acknowledge. It's a weird note to start a text on. So I'm not going to go into the mechanics of, of circumcision this morning, but what I am wanting, wanting you to see is he's using this as a stereotype for the Jewish people. He's calling them by a stereotype. So it's essentially like if I said, you know, those British people, those tea drinkers, right? Like he's identifying them by a common stereotype. The circumcision was a common category that the Jews were called by. Now, if you're reading this text and you're wondering, What's the third category? What's the fourth category? There are only two. You were either Jew or you were Gentile. That covers all of humanity. But in this text, underline the phrase, made in the flesh by human hands. Made in the flesh by hands. And out beside it, I want you to write the word idol. Write the word idol. Because the Greek language, the Greek words that are used here to describe made in the flesh by human hands are the same words used to describe what it would look like if a human took metal or glass or wood or stone and made into an idol, an object of worship. Circumcision was what we would call a Jewish identity marker. It was a physical distinction that identified Jews. What we know is that outsiders and insiders are often separated and identified by physical features or beliefs or practices. For example, the, the immigrants, the, the, the Norwegians and the Swedes who moved into the Minnesota area looked and lived quite differently from the Native Americans who were already living here. In the same way, the immigrants who have moved into our city over the last couple of decades look and live quite different than most people sitting in this room. And I'm not saying that to call any of that bad or good. What I'm saying is that we can instinctively know what makes an insider and an outsider, what separates us as humans. The problem becomes when what makes us insiders starts to become an idol, when what makes us insiders starts to become for us of supreme and utmost importance. Because then they become barriers, barriers to us making space to welcome the outsider. And so that we don't let that happen, so that that doesn't happen in our lives, Paul has a suggestion. Pick it up in verse 12. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ 
alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So pause there and, and circle the word remember. Circle the word remember. It's important that we realize we were once outsiders. We were outsiders. We can be insiders for so long that we forget that we also needed help, that we also needed Jesus ourselves. And so if we are going to resist letting our insider status become an idol in our lives, we have to remember that we were also once an outsider. And it was then that Jesus has done something for us. So pick it up in verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Verse 17, and he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, in peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So stop there. I'm going to walk through this text. Go back and underline verse 13. Go back and underline verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. At my previous church, we started what we called an overflow homeless shelter. It was a temporary homeless shelter in our fellowship hall run by volunteers for 90 consecutive nights from January 1st to the end of March. We, we ran a homeless shelter in our church. But at the same time, on Wednesday nights, just like we do here, we had kids programming and student programming and we had a big family meal together. And once we started the shelter, word got around that there was food on Wednesday nights at this church. And so, inevitably, homeless people started showing up hours early to come for the first meal. And it was amazing. And I'm a little bit embarrassed to say, but when we were all sitting there, we had our kids running around, and a homeless person came in that we did not recognize, we did not know, everyone got a little tense. We were set on edge. It made us really nervous. People started calling their kids over. Everyone started watching really closely because we didn't know them. We didn't know their story. We didn't know what they were into. And it made everyone a little nervous. But some nights, our volunteers at church who had built relationships with homeless men who had been staying at our shelter, they would bring them in. And so a church member that we knew would bring in Frank and pay for his meal and he would sit down. And those nights, nobody was nervous. We were thankful that they'd been brought to our table, but the difference was somebody we knew and somebody we trusted brought them to the table and said, there with me. Guys, this is what Jesus has done for us. When we were outsiders, Jesus brought us to the table and he said, there with me. This is what he does. Jesus brings outsiders to the table. And here's how he does it. I want you to circle two phrases. Circle blood of Christ, and then circle he himself is our peace, and then draw a little line connecting the two. And there's an ancient parallel to what's going on in this text, and it was called the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. 
So the Roman Empire, the biggest empire in that day, they would go in, they would conquer a nation, conquer a region, conquer a city, and they would say, congratulations, you've been conquered by the Roman Empire, Caesar is your Lord, and the peace of Rome, the Pax Romana is here. But the peace of Rome was brought through oppression and through violence. It meant that whatever nation they conquered had to bow down to the Roman Empire, the peace of Rome. But that's not how the peace of Jesus worked. That's not what Jesus did. So whereas the peace of Rome was brought by the shedding of others' blood, Jesus makes peace by the shedding of his own blood. And what we see is that true peace will not come from one group bowing to another, but by both groups realizing that the only path to peace is Jesus. So if we want to make space for outsiders in our lives, we have to focus not on what divides us, but focus on what unites us. This is why it says, He has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments. He's talking about the Old Testament ways that God's people related to God through the law and commandments. But he wasn't asking Gentiles to bow down and submit to being Jewish because that would have been divisive and would have missed the point. So if you're a person who lives in Edina and goes to CPC and you find yourself, I don't know, say in Zambia in a village on a mission trip, and you're having a conversation with somebody who lives in Zambia and they want to follow Jesus and they accept Christ, you wouldn't then say, okay, I'm so glad you follow Jesus. If you want to be a part of our family, you want to be a part of the church, you have to live exactly like we live in Edina. No. That would completely miss the point. If you are a Christ follower and a Democrat and you have a neighbor who's a Republican— and you build a relationship with that neighbor, and over time, that neighbor wants to start following Jesus. You would celebrate it, but you would not say, I'm so glad you want to follow Jesus. Now you need to also become a Democrat if you want to be my brother or sister in Christ. You wouldn't say that. I'm not trying to be political. What I'm trying to say is sometimes the things that divide us become obstacles to us seeing our neighbors become brothers and sisters in Christ. He was not taking Gentiles and making them like Jews. He was taking outsiders and insiders and making them like Jesus. He was taking them and making them like Jesus. So in verse 15, in verse 15, I want you to circle one new man. So the word for man here is the Greek word ethnos. It's where we get the word for ethnicity or nationality, that Jesus is creating a whole new people, a whole new nation, a whole new ethnicity of people that are not bound to the practices of the Jews. They're not bound to the religious practices of the Gentiles. They're not bound to Rome, but they're only bound to Jesus. That what brings them to the table, what brings them to God's table, has nothing to do with their race or their wealth or their previous religious practice, or their ethnic heritage, or their political affiliation, or their socioeconomic status. Only thing that matters is they have been brought by Jesus. That Jesus brings them to the table. 
that he brings the outsider. And our calling is to make space for them and to see what God does because when outsiders and insiders live together in unity because of Christ, God is on the move. Let's pick up the last part of our text as we close. Verse 19 says that, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Stop there. Circle household of God and out beside it write God's people. Circle household of God, out beside it write God's people because he's talking about the people of God. In the Old Testament, it was the Jews. In the New Testament, it's the church. And then circle the words holy temple and then write God's presence out beside it because the temple was the reminder for God's people of God's presence in their midst. So we were in London this past week, and it was 50 degrees. It's balmy. It's amazing. Corey didn't even wear a jacket. Where's Corey? Corey's back there. See a picture of Corey's just, it's like raining in 50, and Corey, it's like it's 70. It's amazing. Just had to get a good embarrassing picture of Corey being a tourist. (laughs) That everybody we met who heard we were from Minnesota always said the same thing. It's cold there, right? Yep, sure is. Like when they heard Minnesota, they thought cold. When God's people heard temple, they thought about God's presence in their midst. The temple was meant to be the way God offered his presence to his people. And what Paul is saying here, the writer of Ephesians, is that with Christ as the very core, the very foundation, the very cornerstone, that God is building a new temple Not made of bricks or stones, but made of flesh, made of humans. That we, outsiders and insiders living together in Christ, is where God desires to dwell and to show the world a different way of life. Don't miss this. Jews and Gentiles did not get along. They were sworn enemies. They they fought. They were not on the same page. So to imagine that they could not just coexist but call each other's brother and sister in the same family was like a miracle. It was something only God can do. And the church, God's people, should live together in a way that reveals to the world that God has done something that only he can do, that the impossible has been made possible in Christ. And this is how God offers himself to the world, outsiders and insiders living together in Jesus. So this past week, I walked out of my hotel room, I walked out in the street, and I had a moment of panic. I had a moment of panic because everything looked fuzzy, and I thought something was wrong. And then I realized I forgot to put in glasses or contacts. (laughs) And here's what I think happened. I think my hotel room was so small that I didn't even realize I didn't have on glasses or contacts until I got outside. But I'm not really that blind. I mean, I, I, glasses help me a ton, but I can see all of you. I can't really make out your faces, so I can't tell if you're sleeping, but I can, I can see you, right? The thing is, without, without aids, without glasses or contacts, I, I can manage. I can make do. I might even be able to drive a few blocks. 
But why would I? If perfect alignment in my vision is possible, why would I settle for anything less? We can have a church that's out of alignment with God's vision for our lives, but works just fine for us. We can have a church that's for insiders, that's comfortable and looks good and is just the way we like it. We can do all the Bible studies that have all the services and go on all the trips, and yet at the same time never make space for outsiders. We can have a church just how we want it, but never welcome those who are not like us. We can make do. We can manage. But why? Why would we live that way? Why would we settle for anything less than what God wants to do in our lives and what God has for us? When outsiders and insiders live together, it is a sign to the world that God has done something only he can do. Otherwise, we have nothing to offer them. We cannot offer them Jesus. We can only offer them to look like us. And the world sees it. The world sees when what happens in the church looks like what happens everywhere else in the world. Nikki Gumbel, who's the senior leader of Holy Trinity Brompton, said, if the church is disoriented, the world is disinterested. When we don't make space for the outsider, we don't invite people to Jesus. God loved us and pursued us when we were outsiders. Our calling is to do the same. Let's pray. Holy and loving God, we love you and praise you. We thank you for the ways in which you have made space for us to belong as outsiders. I pray for my friends here with us this morning that we would be challenged deep in our bones what it looks like to make space for those whom you love who may not look like us, think like us, act like us. What would it look like for your church to reflect the ways in which you love unity? And not for the sake of unity, but because Christ is our cornerstone and everything is built upon that. God, enter into our lives, enter into our space. Lead us to follow Jesus all the days of our lives that we may know that we were outsiders who have been brought near and that we would never forget what you have done for us. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Amen.